Unbound Theatre presents The Chronicles of Professor Chronomie Survivors Written by Dario Knight and performed by Erica Sanderson Through all that is, all that was, and all that ever shall be, flows the great river of time, an imperceptible silver cascade upon whose waters few have the ability to sail. Two travellers who had found a way to navigate the river were Professor Elizabeth Cronomier, inventor and adventurer extraordinaire, and her young friend Astrid, an orphan the professor had met in Elizabethan England three centuries before her own time. The two were mid-voyage aboard the Professor's timeship, a majestic symphony of brass pillars, wooden control panels, and bubbling laboratory glassware, all crowned by an hourglass spinning mesmerisingly in a gyroscopic frame. The ship was careering on the flow of the river away from the 19th century, where the travellers had foiled a disturbing plot to corrupt the life of Jane Austen. The Professor, absorbed in an operation to balance the levels of boiling liquid in the ship's workings, had been silent since their departure. She remained fixated on the task in hand, endeavouring to ignore the icy air whipped up by the racing river, which lashed at her unruly hair and stung the tracks of tears upon her cheek. Astrid, too, had remained largely silent, save for a few cheery observations as the journey had gotten underway. Though she had not known the professor for long, Astrid could read her new friend well. The mission to preserve the continuity of Jane's life had not been easy, and succeeding had taken its toll. Astrid looked out at the cascade surrounding them, not wanting the professor to fear being looked at in such a vulnerable moment. She gazed into the silver stream, recalling the demons she knew lurked in its depths. Crossing the marble platform that formed the base of the ship, she found herself at the opening between two of the brass pillars framing the craft. She stood on the precipice, looking down at the depths of the time river. Careful, said the professor quietly, not looking up from her work. I really must install some sort of safety rail. Don't you worry about me, Prof, Astrid replied in a cheery but soft tone. I likes me a good swim, but this river's too deep for me. Silence fell between them again. It was a start, Astrid told herself. She looked down into the cascade again, the silver energy racing past them. How much further into the future were they travelling, she wondered. As thoughts and dreams of days to come flitted about in her head, something began to emerge in the river ahead of them. A tiny speck of darkness was visible in the white abyss. Astrid blinked, thinking it to be a trick of the ethereal light, but the shape remained before her, and it was growing. Prof, she called without breaking eye contact with the anomaly. There's something out there. All of time, dear heart the professor replied in a melancholy tone. Every second, minute, hour, day, month, year, century. We can set foot in them all, but somehow it still feels so far out of reach. This thing ain't, Astrid insisted. It's coming straight for us. The warning pulled the professor away from her musings, and at last she turned around. She joined Astrid at the lip of the platform and followed her gaze downstream. 
The object had doubled and then tripled in size and was continuing to grow. A quick calculation told her that it was far smaller than her ship, but could no doubt do a fair amount of damage were a collision to take place. She leapt into action. What is it? Astrid asked, chancing a look away at the professor, who was now deftly operating the controls. No idea, the professor replied. Shame about that, but best not stick around. Something of her usual joviality had returned. She turned another set of dials and the liquid in the glassware began to change colour. Quickly, quickly, she urged the machine. It's no good, Prof, Astrid cried. It's going to... A heart-shuddering jolt rocked the ship. The professor threw herself away from the controls just in time to grab hold of Astrid, who was teetering on the edge of the platform. She brought them both down onto the marble floor and then rolled onto her back to look upstream. There was no sign of the object, no debris at all. Perhaps it had been sent spinning into the depths of the torrent surrounding them. A quick but comprehensive glance at the ship indicated it too was undamaged. What the hell is it? Astrid's voice rang out. The professor propped herself up on her elbow and looked to her friend, who had slid forward and dangled herself over the side of the ship. Astrid, she chided, before removing her battered hat and joining her. Look at it, Astrid beamed as the two women craned to look at the underside of the craft. The object had embedded itself in the ship. It resembled a large rectangular black box threaded with wires. Two large sets of metal claws were fixed to either end of the device and had buried themselves in the ship's hull. The tangle of wires was pulsing with light, and a rhythmic chiming could be heard from within the black casing. What's it doing? Astrid frowned. I think we're about to find out, the professor beamed. Another captain might have been aggrieved at their ship being hijacked by an unknown object, but this was something new, and the professor could never resist the unknown. The streaming walls of silver light surrounding them began to glow brighter. The wires of the errant device burned in tandem, and the professor's ship was drawn away from the river. The island hung in the infinite void like an apple on the surface of a flawlessly still pond. It was a wide expanse of land, like a cutting of the English countryside taken from earth and transported into the unknown. An ornate but homely manor house sat to one side of the island, surrounded by a garden of wildflowers. Winding lanes snaked around the surface of the precinct, weaving between fields of grazing animals and lined with hedgerows. A lush green hill lifted above the landscape, ringed with ancient trees. Atop the hill was the oldest tree of all, a vast oak with great boughs hanging low to the ground. The edge of the island gave way to beaches, in places sandy, in others dotted with pebbles. But no ocean came to lap at the shore. Instead, the very edge of what would have been the sea line rippled into silvery light. The water of the Time River, cooling around an island that should never have existed. The sky at first glance appeared to be an azure expanse dotted with clouds, but keener eyes would see quite the inverse. The silver light of time was peering through a punctured blue ether, as though it had been draped over the silver pool. The sea began to glow, brighter and brighter. The sheep and cows and horses in the field started to run, alarmed by the blisteringly bright light now surrounding them. Then, as though a great power lever had been thrown, it disappeared. The animals calmed, and the island was peaceful again, save for its new arrival. The professor's ship stood on the sand of one of the beaches, listing slightly with the uneven ground. The great copper blades of the vessel's rotor, curved to follow the frame of the brass pillars, gradually came to a halt, 
and the Professor and Astrid stepped down from the marble platform. I'll hand it to you, Prof, Astrid grinned, shielding her eyes from the light of the sea. You know how to get shipwrecked with style. Beautiful, isn't it? replied the Professor, running a booted foot through the perfect sand. She looked up at the hill in the distance and the forest of picturesque trees. Almost reminds me of... Astrid could follow the end of her friend's sentence, and let it remain unsaid. Their encounter with Jane Austen had begun in similarly tranquil environs. Another silence loomed between them. She was determined to keep it at bay. What do you make of that, then? she chimed, pointing at the impossible sea. Looks like the Time River, the professor theorised. She looked up at the uncanny valley of sky. With some kind of firmament laid over it. A projection, perhaps? It would need an almighty lamp to power it. No sign of a lighthouse that I can see. Bit late for that, Astrid chuckled. We've already crashed. Not crashed, dear heart, the professor retorted with faux indignity. Drawn off course. Speaking of which... She walked back to the ship and dropped down to her knees, pulling the sand away from the base of the craft with her hand. Mind you don't have her over, Astrid called, approaching the shore. Mind you don't go too near the edge, the professor shouted back, not looking up. One near fall in a day is quite enough. I know, I know, Astrid sighed. She looked out at the silver expanse before her. There was something calming about the light of the river's water. Even amid the tempest of the cascade, she felt a tranquillity emanating from the currents. What was it, she wondered, that brought her such peace? Got you, cried the professor. She emerged from beneath the ship, one hand brushing sand back into the cavity she'd created, and the other grasping the peculiar device that had latched itself onto the vessel. The wires were no longer glowing, and the claws dangled limply from the black box. Looks wholly inert to me. Expended its energy bringing you here, explained a new voice. It was warm, cheery, and cracked with age. The professor quickly got to her feet. Astrid had already spun around and braced herself to leap at the stranger, lest they be hostile. Before them stood a tall, elderly man in a loose linen shirt and unbuttoned floral waistcoat. On his head was a frayed straw hat, casting a shadow across a face whose skin had grown hard with the sun. A warm smile framed with wrinkles sat beneath a pair of watery but alert eyes. He raised his hat in greeting. Aubrey McLean, he grinned. Welcome to the island. The professor was the first to approach, extending a hand that he shook warmly. Professor Elizabeth Crenomier, she said in her usual welcoming tone. And this is my friend, Astrid. All right, Astrid offered without moving forward. Aubrey nodded to her. My apologies to you both. I suspect your arrival here came as something of a shock. Unexpected, certainly, retorted the professor, a hint of hardness creeping into her voice. Only the unwise dared to tamper with one of her experiments. Where are we exactly, Mr. McLean? Paradise, Aubrey beamed, throwing out his arms wide, albeit one that requires a deal of explanation. May I? The professor looked over Aubrey's shoulder at the manor house in the distance. What say who, Astrid? Yeah, the young woman replied cautiously. Go on in. Minutes later, they were walking along a hallway inside the manor house. The walls were lined with an eclectic array of paintings, some the professor recognised from the National Gallery, and others that were intriguingly futuristic. Beneath the paintings stood all manner of cabinets and tables packed with trinkets and oddities of similarly disparate eras. 
The hall reminded the professor of the shop owned by her old friend Runcible, back home in her own time. As you've no doubt guessed already, Aubrey said cheerfully, I'm also a time traveller. Quite a magpie, Astrid noted, earning a stern smile from the professor. What's a travail without a token? Aubrey retorted amiably. Yes, I spend my life flitting around the centuries. Uh, what century are you both from, then? Thirty-second? Thirty-third? You're way out there, Mush, laughed Astrid. But the professor interjected. We're a little earlier than that, she explained, preferring to keep details of her career vague. She had encountered others with the ability to access the Time River, but was green in the details of how extensive the capability would become in future ages. She preferred caution. Really? Aubrey exclaimed. You must have been one of the early adopters. I suppose so, the professor grinned. What is this place exactly? asked Astrid. The island? Aubrey replied. A little creation of my own. The terror mechanics was my speciality back home. Brought some equipment with me and made the place my own. But where is it? Astrid persisted. And where's your ship? Oh, long since dismantled. Time engines wore out in the end. No sense in keeping them. The risk of implosion as the core deteriorates well. Hardly worth it, is it? No, quite, bluffed the professor, her mind racing with thoughts of her own ship's workings. Quite. As for where we are, Aubrey continued, I'm not sure I can furnish you with a firm answer. Ran across the place when I was riding out a patch of turbulence. Some kind of spatial pocket, I think. Like a cavern behind a waterfall, the professor mused. Aubrey glanced back and smiled in appreciation of her incisive assessment. What's down there? asked Astrid of a set of stairs leading down beneath the floorboards. A cellar filled with endless knick-knacks and trinkets, Aubrey sighed, not breaking his step. Goodness knows what'll become of it when I'm long gone. <laughs> Perhaps the sheep will take charge of the place for me. Why settle here? asked the professor, admiring a stunningly sharp oil painting of a landscape she couldn't quite place. Why not go home? That's, that's a little trickier to explain, Aubrey muttered. Matters of the heart and all that. At last he came to a stop. They had reached an intersection with another larger hallway. He turned back to address his two guests. How long have you been travelling? Not long the professor answered before Astrid could give too much away. Yes, smiled Aubrey. Yes, I can see that in your eyes. I, I traveled most of my life, as I said. Truth be told, I did nothing but travel. The thought of treading water in one time when there was so much more to explore, it, it drove me for so very long. The professor shifted her weight from one foot to another. Aubrey's words flickered around her heart and down to her stomach the telltale sign of recognition. Save meaning her earthly travels rather than those in time, she had been described. After decades and decades of belonging everywhere and everywhere, Aubrey continued, looking up as though gazing through the ceiling. In the end, I didn't belong anywhere. Anywhere. So I made a home of my own. Nowhere and nowhere. He broke his reminiscence with a smile. Shall we? He raised a hand to indicate the kitchen along the hallway. And what of that little device of yours we found in the river? asked the professor, 
the merest hint of severity creeping into her voice. Yes, you uh, must forgive me that indulgence, Aubrey replied bashfully. It's a sort of homing beacon. Solitude weighs heavily in time, and given this place isn't easy to find, and my ship is long since gone, I needed a way of letting people know where I was. That was no signpost, Astrid protested. That thing bloody hijacked us. I can only apologize, Aubrey replied. As I say, the clamor for company became rather pressing. I promise the beacon will have done no damage to your craft. Uh, can I fix you a drink? Certainly, smiled the professor, her mind a little easier. I'll catch you up, Astrid called. Where's a privy? Up the stairs and to the left, Aubrey explained. Third door. Right you are, chirped Astrid, already ascending to the first floor. Shall we? Aubrey asked the professor again, and together they walked into the kitchen. Moments later, unseen, Astrid slowly descended the stairs and headed back the way they had come. A wicker table and three chairs stood in the fragrant garden of wildflowers. Insects flitted this way and that, and a welcome breeze played around the professor and Aubrey, who was pouring punch into three tall glasses. He handed the professor hers, and they sat in silence for a while, basking in the sun. Who were they? Aubrey asked finally. The professor's brow furrowed. I don't follow, she lied. Professor, I have travelled from one end of the river to the other, smiled Aubrey. Can you imagine the number of civilizations I've visited? The number of people I've met? He paused and then gently concluded. The heartache I've seen. I know how melancholy sits on a soul. What happened? A tear trailed down the professor's cheek. She brushed it away and took a long sip of her drink. A dozen images, all of the same woman, shimmered in her mind's eye, and then they were gone. Her name was Jane, the professor whispered. What became of her? She lived her life, the professor sighed, composing herself. I met her. I met her at a crossroads. Days she was never meant to live. There was this man, a devil, more like. He tampered with her history. Don't ask me how, but he did. An editor, guessed Aubrey. The professor's look of shock caused him to chuckle. <laughs> I've crossed paths with more than a few. Curious guys. Kept well out of their way. You mean you allowed them to meddle? Asked the professor, anger churning in her stomach. I distracted them where I could. Aubrey replied defensively, a shimmer of steeliness beginning to show. I was a traveller, not a crusader, Professor. A silence sat between them. You put things right, I presume, with Jane? Right as far as history is concerned, the Professor explained. In those days, oh, those days, lost to the river, but not to me. Sorrow is the price we pay for our travels, Aubrey mused, looking out at the uncanny sky. To travel is to be brave. To be brave is to be open-hearted. Open, that is, to be hurt. And who was it for you? The professor asked kindly. Aubrey scoffed, sipped his drink, and took a deep, slow breath. Her name is mine to keep, he answered firmly but without malice. We travel together for a time. <laughs> He chuckled at the pun. 
Egypts or all manner of eras and empires. In the end, I lost her, quite literally, to the river. An accident? the professor asked. But Aubrey merely took another breath and placed his glass down on the table. May I confide a truth and a caution to you, professor? As you wish, she replied, holding on to her own glass and swirling the dregs around its bottom. That device you sailed into on the river, he began. I think you'll find it sailed into me, she chided. But do go on. It had a rather more specific purpose than to guide company to my shore, Aubrey explained. I was looking for her. I hoped that one day she would surface on the river and the beacon would find her and... Another deep breath. Oh, but it didn't. It hasn't, rather. Time is relative after all. A decades have gone by for me, but perhaps for her, mere minutes might have passed. I'm sorry I rendered the beacon so inoperable, the professor said as she placed her glass on the table. I have others, Aubrey smiled sadly. What use is a single message in a bottle thrown to the waves? If that is the truth you have to share, then what of the caution, she asked. Aubrey's face became harder. Not stern, but beaten. There's more than one way to get lost in the river of time, he warned. Don't, Professor. Don't get lost the way I did. I have no intention of that, she admonished. I assure you. Oh, these are early days of your voyage, I can tell. Aubrey wasn't warning her now. He was pleading. He grabbed her arm. In time, you'll go further and faster. You'll learn the difference between mere history and the tides of time. It will consume you, and you will be nowhere. He was rasping his grip tightening. The professor withdrew her arm. Immediately he cooled, looking sheepish at the outburst. It is a lonely life I lead, Professor. I simply wish you to avoid the same fate. Have no fear, Aubrey, she assured him. I know how to keep my feet on the ground, even if my heart is open. Aubrey smiled, sat back in his chair, and let the breeze soothe his weathered skin. The professor chanced to glance back at the manor house. Had she bought Astrid enough time, she wondered. Astrid was a dab hand with locks. The one on the door at the bottom of the staircase had not proven troublesome. She'd felt a pang of satisfaction as it clunked open and allowed her to push her way through into the basement. To her surprise, the room was illuminated a few seconds after she crossed the threshold. She blinked almost in tandem with the lights, which eventually settled and revealed the large room into which she'd entered. The plaster walls were lined with yet more shelves bearing, as Aubrey had said, tokens and mementos of his travels. There were hundreds of books and metal objects she suspected only the Professor and Aubrey would be able to identify. Here and there were packing crates, some wood, some metal. A persistent hum reverberated off of the cool walls emanating from several of the chests. Those ones could wait. She approached one of the wooden chests and was disappointed to find that it had not been locked. Lifting the lid, she found all manner of metal objects inside, the workings of some futuristic machine. Some components shone under the light, whilst others had become dull and dented. She closed the lid and opened another. More metal gadgets, tangled up in wiring. Most of this machinery had been scorched and broken, 
Tubes protruding from some of the items were clogged with congealed fluid of many different colours. At the bottom of the case lay a bed of shrapnel, chips of metal and brittle plastic. Load of gubbins if you ask me, Astrid sighed. She let the lid drop with a loud bang, and then finally turned her attention to one of the buzzing metal cases. Lifting the top, she recoiled at a waft of freezing air. Vapour swelled up to meet her, but it quickly dissipated. The inner walls of the chest were padded with ice. Its contents consisted of several clear bags peppered with frost. Astrid reached in and picked one of the bags up, her fingers stinging with the cold. There were several objects inside. She brushed the ice crystals clinging to it so as to get a better view. When, at last, the bag's contents became clear, she dropped it back into the chest, slammed the lid down and took several steps away from it. No, she whispered to herself. Can't be. Turning to look at the rest of the room, Astrid spotted another door on the far wall. She approached it and grinned when it refused to open. A swift dalliance with her trusty bridle later, and it swung open. Once again, the lights in the room blinked on. The second chamber was a similar size to the first. A large desk stood in the middle, so large it could almost double as a workbench. A red leather chair sat behind the desk, but its surface was empty. There were more bookshelves, only these ones were filled with bottles and jars. Some were brightly coloured, reminding Astrid of the maze of glassware that powered the professor's timeship and the clogged piping from the damaged machinery in the wooden crates. The majority of the containers, however, were brimming with black liquid. Avid writer, Astrid pondered. Scare the running out of ink? She picked up one of the bottles and turned it around in her hand. The fluid was thick, too thick for ink. She pulled out the stopper and risked a sniff. The shock of the smell nearly sent the bottle crashing to the floor, but in between coughs she was able to replace the cork and return the flask to the shelf. She turned around as she finally cleared her throat, only to gasp and back into the desk. Hanging on the wall, either side of the door through which she'd entered, were the heads of dozens of animals, each mounted on a wooden plaque. As with everything in the house, there were some articles Astrid could recognise, and others that were far beyond the century she'd called home. However, among all the animals a citizen of Tudor London could never have identified, there was one Astrid knew all too well. Her fingers prickled with the memory of the frozen bag. She'd not been mistaken after all. In it had been the frozen, bloodless claws. Here on the wall was the scaly, abhorrent head, and in the bottles and jars, she now presumed, was the blood. All belonged to a creature that swam in the depths of the river and rose to feast on time itself. Aubrey MacLean had been hunting the wraith. Astrid ran. Outside, the professor had excused herself and embarked on a stroll towards the coast. She'd found herself a grass ledge overlooking the beach some hundred metres from where the ship had landed. She sat down on the grass, looking out at the silver sea. The waters of time lapped at the shore and seeped into her thoughts. Her eyes closed, and Jane returned to her. You saved me, the apparition told her, with a smile that could hurt and heal in equal measure. I lost you, the professor answered, but you ensured the pages of my history remained unmarred. For the greater good, came the professor's muttered reply. Not all of the pages, though, she pondered. The chapter of Austin's life that had been tampered with by the unscrupulous editor known as Ravel remained a mystery to future ages. Her lost years. 
And those pages, dear heart, Jane smiled, shall be forever yours, and yours alone. The professor felt another tear spill down her cheek. In her mind's eye, the tear became a veil falling around the two women. You know, talking to oneself is considered a mark of instability. Then let us meet only when there are no others to overhear, Jane whispered. Our little secret, whispered the professor in turn. Seconds that might have been hours passed in silence. It was enough to simply look upon her. We must part, Jane insisted with sudden urgency. A minute more, dear heart, please, urged the professor. We are no longer alone. Jane was scared now. She was looking over the professor's shoulder. Elizabeth! Professor! Prof! came Astrid's voice from Jane's mouth. A jolt flew through the weary traveller's synapses. In an instant, Jane and the veil of peace were gone. The light of the sea returned for a split second before the professor wheeled round and saw Aubrey stood over her, his walking stick held high above his head. The cane swung down with force, but dug into the soft ground where the professor had been sitting. She'd thrown herself down onto the sand and gotten to her feet. Aubrey was upon her in an instant. All infirmity departed from the wiry old man. He swung the cane in a wide horizontal arc, but the professor dodged aside once again, almost losing her footing in the soft sand. Get away from her! screamed Astrid, who was sprinting across the grass towards the beach. There's no use running! Aubrey snarled, brandishing the cane and advancing on the professor. You're in my domain! He aimed a low swipe to buckle her knees, but the professor leapt into the air. The failed attack put Aubrey momentarily off balance, giving the professor the chance she needed. She leapt forward, wrapping an arm around the man's chest and spinning him around. One of his legs wrapped around another and he fell, desperately trying to hold the cane out of the professor's reach. Get off of me! He bellowed with an intense fury his bony frame belied. What are you? The professor asked through gritted teeth, trying simultaneously to pin him down and disarm him. Aubrey did not answer. He grabbed a handful of sand and threw it in her face. She recoiled, and Aubrey wriggled from her grasp. By the time he had righted himself, Astrid had reached the shore. He turned to see the two women before him, both braced for the next attack. I've been down in your basement, Mush, Astrid panted. Anything of interest? the professor asked her, not taking her eyes off of Aubrey. He's been hunting Wraith, Astrid replied. The professor's determination faltered. A skeletal shadow danced before her eyes, another ghost of her past travels. She could hear the rattle of the creature's breath and the creaking of their claws. Then came the smell of blood. You've encountered them, then, Aubrey read from the fear in the professor's face. Nasty brutes, but get yourself the right weapon, and they still bleed. Judging by the jars of blood in your ideal, you've slayed more than a few, said Astrid. Thousands, Aubrey spat back. There's no shortage of custom. Every editor in their nasty little conglomerate wants a wraith's head on their wall. Oh, yes, Professor. I know the editors of old. And with all of time at your disposal, there are so many generations clamoring for the services of a hunter because they're too cowardly to make the kill themselves. Is that what this place is? asked the Professor. A killing field? The only decent hunting is on the river, Aubrey explained, his tongue tracing the outline of his lips hungrily. But space is needed to prepare the carcasses. Why keep the blood? asked Astrid. An experiment, he sneered back. The blood of a creature born in the river is a rare vintage. I wanted to harness its potential. How? 
the professor frowned. Then a thought emerged. Oh, to replace your broken time engines. Broken's the right word, Astrid scoffed. There's a load of junk down there. Debris, I call it. Blasted to bits. Shut up, the hunter ordered. You didn't dismantle the ship, the professor theorised, seeing from Aubrey's twitching face that she was on the right track. It disintegrated. You're not settled here. You're shipwrecked. I survived, snarled Aubrey. One of the wraith attacked my ship, severed the temporal stabilizers. The engines went critical, the hull ripped apart, and... And I woke up here. It was all a lie, then, the professor surmised. No heartbreak, no lost love. No manacles, Aubrey added derisively. I made my own decisions, and I kept all of the rewards. So what was the beacon for, then? Astrid chimed. The wraith blood was useless. Powerful for a minute or two, but it couldn't sustain the engines. So I sent out the beacon, like a message in a bottle, to summon me another ship from the river. And look at that, he nodded to the professor's ship gleaming in the sun further along the sand. It worked. The professor, not breaking her glare of contempt upon Aubrey, readied herself for a renewed scrap. Never. Only a fool believes in never, Aubrey grinned. I live for eternity. He ran, so fast that he caught out Astrid and thundered past her. The professor readied herself for the attack. Aubrey held the cane aloft between both hands, forcing it at her throat. The professor's own hand shot out to hold him back, and they once again tumbled onto the sand. Astrid was soon upon them, trying to pull Aubrey away. In the tussle, he threw out a hand and caught her across the face. She recoiled long enough for him to strengthen his attack on the professor, bringing the cane closer to her throat. She pushed back as hard as she could, but the old man was drawing ever greater pulls of strength. He was desperate. How many years have you been stranded here? She asked through gritted teeth. How many decades? Not as many as you will be. <laughs> he growled in reply, his words descending into a fevered laugh. Sorry to disagree, old thing, the professor cut in, but I really don't think so. She heaved a knee up to meet his stomach. Winded, his hole on the cane slackened, and she wrested it from him. Before she could counterattack, he had taken the lapels of her jacket in his fists and began to shake her. Stuck in an impasse, they were sent tumbling down the sand towards the Silver Sea. Prof! Astrid yelled, dashing after them. She leapt to the ground, grabbing one of Aubrey's arms to prevent the two combatants reaching the sea. For a moment, all three of them could feel the familiar icy breeze of the river. One false move and they would be swallowed by it. Astrid, still holding on to Aubrey, threw her other arm around his neck and pulled back sharply. He hollered in pain and arched his back, giving the professor the opportunity she needed to finally free herself from his grasp and scramble to her feet. Leave him, Astrid, she shouted as the young woman continued to pull at Aubrey's throat. Leave him! Aubrey tried desperately to dislodge Astrid from his back, threatening to hurl her into the waters. The professor ran forward and dragged Astrid away. Aubrey dropped face down onto the ground. The professor could see the fatal error he was about to make. He turned, trying to get to his feet, but in his fury miscalculated and his hand touched the silver sea. He shrieked in agony, but could not pull it back. The professor and Astrid watched as the skin on his fingers began to change. One moment younger, all wrinkles and blotches replaced by taut, unblemished skin, and then time accelerated and there was nothing but ashes and bone. All the while, Aubrey screamed. Come, said the professor, taking Astrid by the arm. 
Quickly. Saying nothing further, the two women ran along the beach towards the ship. Its brass frame and copper rotors shone in the light. Aubrey's yells became lower until they gave way to a groan. Hearing the change, the professor dared to glance back and skidded to a halt in shock. The old man had finally pulled himself free of the waters and was clutching his injured hand to his chest. He rose to his knees and looked along the beach. The moment his eyes met the professor's, his howling subsided into painful, panting breaths. The professor's eyes widened at the sight of her assailant. His face had been transformed by the sea. Patches of his skin had been re-energized. Others had worn away completely. He had become a patchwork of past, present and future. For a few moments they regarded each other. Two travellers. Two innovators. Two scarred survivors on a lonely island in the river of time. Aubrey got painfully to his feet and began staggering along the sand. The professor turned away and continued to the ship, where Astrid stood waiting. Without a word, she ascended the marble platform and threw the controls into motion. The flasks of liquid bubbled and boiled. The engines hummed into life and the metalwork of the frame began to sing. Casting one last look back at Aubrey as he continued his futile approach, the professor reached up and threw the gyroscope into motion. The silver sea began to glow and surge as though rushing to envelop the machine. A few moments later, it was gone. Back in the river, the professor and Astrid each tended to the ship's controls, keeping a cautious eye on either end of the river's course lest another of Aubrey's homing beacons come after them. Will he live, do you think? Astrid asked. After all that, I'm not sure anyone could say, the professor mused. He had it coming, huffed her friend. Don't say that, she replied sharply. He may have been dangerous, but he just wanted his freedom, to travel again. Didn't do him any good if you ask me, opined Astrid. All that travelling drove him mad. There's more than one way to get lost in the river of time, the professor quoted. We ain't lost, Astrid grinned. The professor returned the smile. Where we headed next, then? I think I'd like to go home, said the professor quietly. Suits me, Astrid shrugged. You've seen where I'm from. We ought to get a peek at whatever year it was you scarper from. 1874, the professor recalled. And then something pulled at her. But not yet. No? No, she decided. I want to see the future first. Don't you? Already have, Astrid grinned. The far future, the professor replied, her voice swelling with wonder. She reached over to one of the levers and threw it. Accelerating the ship along the river, the icy wind grew harder and sharper. Astrid whooped with the thrill of the ride as the professor tended to the controls. For a moment, she glanced up at the silver cascade surrounding them. Then she closed her eyes, the intense light of the water dancing over her eyelids. And there she was again, where she would always be. Forever yours, Jane whispered, and yours alone. The Chronicles of Professor Chronomier Survivors An Unbound Theatre Production Written by Dario Knight And performed by Erica Sanderson Theme music by Kevin MacLeod With additional orchestrations by Lou Sutcliffe